All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much that your spirit is here. We thank you that each one of us came this morning because our desire is to dig into your word. Our desire is to learn and be taught the wisdom of God. And I thank you that each woman here just brought the Holy Spirit with them as well, Lord. Just we, we bring you in our hearts. And when we unite together, it's such a blessed time. We pray, God, that your anointing would be upon your word in every possible way, Lord, in the teaching, in the discussion, and in our prayers. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I, don't, I hope you all got the message to be ready to um, talk about Proverbs chapter 6. Instead of waiting another whole two weeks to get started, I wanted to make sure that we started with this lesson so we could continue on, okay? All right, <clears throat> so we are... Studying through Proverbs chapter 6. In Proverbs chapter 6, we find, uh, as I looked back over my notes for some of the other teachings, that there are a lot of repetitive themes that come up in the Proverbs. And it makes you think, you know, that as these were written, they were not all written at the same time, right? He didn't sit down and write 30 Proverbs chapters, one after, you know, one after the other. So throughout life... These are the things that keep coming up and re-emerging as things that are very important for us and things that are, we need to be retrained in and learn more of and understand deeply. And it's kind of like your children. You don't just tell them once in their lifetime, wash your hands. You know what I mean? You, you, you say it. And God gives us wisdom for our life in, <clears throat> in uh, repeating things. But he always seems to have, at least there's always interesting information that are that we need to understand that's added every single time we revisit the same things. And <clears throat> one thing that we realize um, in, is popped right in the middle of this one, which is like this golden nugget, um, is that, you know, the, the seven things God, God hates. You're like, wait, what? You know, and it's just really, it's like, wait, it's just like a, you know, a little shocker there <laughs> back to reality of, of, um, of what God has desired for us. Okay. The key verse, turn, look at verse 23. The key verse for the chapter, I believe, is verse 23. And I apologize. <clears throat> I always apologize because I always end up reading something besides the New King, New King James, and I don't know what you study in. This time I'm reading from the NASB, New American Standard Bible. But it says, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. In other words, it's like this we will do for the rest of our lives. This is a repeated thing. This is what God has. We walk as we're understanding what God's wisdom is. He repeats certain phrases like walk the path, stay on the road. Don't turn to the right or the left. Avoid the consequences of foolishness. Be steadfast and wise in all of life's situations. Keep your life free of regrets and reper repercussions. These are my little additional like <laughs> notes on it. And if our goal is to be pleasing to the Lord, content, have a peaceful life with respect to God and fear of him, good relationships with other people, then we need these instructions in two major things here. And this is what's covered. In this particular chapter, these two things, one of them is at the top of your page. We need instruction number one. We need to understand the consequences 
of our actions. And then the other thing, what we'll, we're going to talk about is what God loves and what God hates. If we want to please the Lord, we better know what does he hate and what does he love? So those are the things that we want to talk first about this understanding the consequences of our actions. Now we can always think of somebody else, right? When we're, when we're looking through this, I mean, does your mind not go to how many people like every single situation? And uh, yet there is life gleanings for us (laughs) because we all have the propensity to fall into the traps and they don't always start, you know, if I'm going to go out and commit adultery, I usually, it doesn't happen in one move. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's a gradual thing that our mind, we have to, so all of these things, we have to catch it in the very beginnings of our mindset. So, but I want you to realize too, that God has built in each one of us. Um, I, I learned this from my sister because of the, the testing on my, on my nephew's brain that he had this damaged at birth. They found out later, they find out 15 years later that this was damaged. Executive cognitive function. Executive cognitive abilities basically, we're usually blessed with this ability. We learn experience by instruction. And this means that I understand if I do this, this will happen. Okay? My brain registers. If this happens, then this. That's executive cognitive recognition. And a lot of us, we're very fortunate to have this functioning well in our brains. Not everybody does. (laughs) Um, So God has a lot of different ways. And a lot of times he uses repetition. He uses verbal instruction. He, and visual cues. But a lot of times we learn most and the most effective way is by experience, right? So all these things, we follow up. Others, um, we all know that there's people that they never learn just when you tell them. They have to learn the hard way, right? We all know that. We have children. (laughs) We were children. (laughs) So God is the same way in his instruction to us. So what is the best way to learn? By somebody telling me, am I seeing? And and I look and I noted, duly noted, got it. I am not going to fall in that same trap. And um, that's the best way to learn, but we don't often learn it that way. We have to fall into a pit and learn the hard way. So <laughs> the Lord is trying to say, he knows all of us. He knows which one of us we're more likely to understand with both explanations, reminders, physical examples in front of us and our own experiences. So um, this is why he continues to remind us through scripture over and over again. <clears throat> Throughout the book of Proverbs, we do well to listen up. We do well to read the instruction manual and let it guide us um, through our daily actions and relationships. So we have to ask ourselves, how do I handle myself in this situation? Am I this person and am I being affected by this person? And we looked at these four people, right? We looked at the imposing person, the lazy person, and they're all on your page, the, um, the evil person, the adulterer. And then we have, I put it at the end rather than in the middle where <clears throat> it is in the scripture, in the chapter, the things God hates. So um, we're going to be looking at these four. Um, and I know you did, if you did your Bible study, she laid it out that way too, which was lovely because we got to kind of think about it and answer how we respond in these ways. But a lot of times we just have to look, I'm just going to look at a little, <clears throat> little deeper verses one through five. 
Proverbs 6. My son, if you have become a surety for your neighbor or have given a pledge for a stranger, if you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Do not give sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. All right, so he's looking at someone, as they call it, um, giving a pledge for a stranger basically is loaning or putting your name behind someone, co-signing for someone else's um, financial responsibility. So the person, the imposing person, ask others to put up money first because they don't have enough or worse, they don't want to put themselves at risk, but they're willing to put you at risk. (laughs) Okay. Uh, They're very presumptuous in three different ways. They ask another to have faith that they're going to pay the loan back. That's presumptuous. They're presumptuous on God towards God because uh, to ask to him to have enough money to pay the extra payment payback payment that they don't have now, that they can't possibly pay back now. So they're presuming upon God to make this happen for them. They're presuming on the future, the unknown pitfalls, economic downturns, job availability, um, and their own drive to be able to do it, right? Their own honesty. So they're presuming on the future. So this person is expecting something is going to change because they're not, they, they can't do it now but they're expecting something to change that they are going to be able to pay. And they're um, either pay you back or pay the bank back or both, okay? So remember, if the bank considers them a bad risk, so should you. And um, it doesn't matter how much you love them. Unless you're able to willingly gift the whole amount, which is a possibility, if you're willing to gift the whole amount, then don't do it. Or excuse me, unless you're able to, don't do it. Unless you're willing to gift them that, expect nothing back, do not sign, okay? Don't expect them to ever pay you back. Okay, so your credit and your reputation are going to be damaged if they can't and you can't as well. So your friendship, here's the thing about it. Even if it all goes well, your friendship is not the same. Your friendship is damaged because of this whole financial responsibility. They look at you differently now. You're there. You, 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 know, you owe them. This guilt, even if you, have, you don't even think about it that way, this guilt on their part drives a wedge. Okay? So you can't... It, it will most certainly be damaged, and sometimes irreparably, if there's any defaults or anything. Okay? Their guilt pushes them away, even if you forgive the loan payback. It's a no-win situation. Walk away. And this is what the Lord says. God knew this. He knows these things. You know, it's a recipe for hurt. It's a recipe for disaster. What seems to be a charitable act, which we feel often, you know, we feel it is a charitable act, turns out to be damaging to friendships and damaging to relationships. So God says, run Run, don't walk. Run. You know, the little sting from that ahead of time may save your friendship in the long run. Okay? What seems to be a charitable act turns out 
to hurt. If you haven't entered into one yet, don't. But if you have, um, you've got to find a way to beg off and, and, you know, get your name off of there at the bank, whatever it needs to happen. So um, just uh, unless you're willing to just buy it and gift it to them, then don't do it. (laughs) Right? So um, that's God's advice to us. And I think it's because he knows the interpersonal relationships of how these things play out in human relationships. So God's wisdom right here in front of us. Let's go into the lazy person. Let's read verses six through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provisions in the harvest. Notice all ants are women. It's interesting. <laughs> Sorry. Said to edit. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you ants rise, or excuse me, when do you ants? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. So the sluggard is an idler, habitually indolent or inactive, a do-nothing, a layabout, a loafer, a bum, a person who spends time avoiding work or useful activity, is resistant to exertion. I've heard it referred to as bone idle, <laughs> which I kind of think that was kind of nice. Uh, but how does this hurt others? A lot of times you think, well, they're only hurting themselves, but that's not true. It's never true because we are, no man is an island. No woman it does not affect someone in their life. How is it not good for the lazy person and for the people around them? First of all, By not assisting others who are working, it's unfair to the people that are working who are trying to, whatever, you're probably being supported by them. But it's not fair to those doing the work. That's defrauding them of, uh, you know, just being a team member. Those who depend on the income from you, from the workers, you know, they're going to be in need. They're going to be in great lack, maybe danger of being put out, food, clothing, unsatisfactory. Um, So there's going to be some things that just just show up. The lean is the lean amount of money will show up because you're not participating. It talks about sleep. It talks about sleep here. Them being sleep. Oh, gosh, is there any way? Um, my leg is just really hurting. Is there any way somebody could go in and get the chair that you know that the higher chair? There's one in Greg's office. Sorry. No, I think it's just I need to. I need to sit, so thank you. Yeah, it's like for some reason my leg's really hurting right now. This is not my bum knee, it's my other leg. It's hurting. Thank you. So sorry. I snap and they, they ran. <laughs> I guess I've been just standing a lot and whatever. All right, so um, talking about sleep, okay, it says a little sleep, a little slumber, and he says, you know, arise, which is assumes that they're, they're not, they're sitting or they're not doing something, right? You know, we think about what it means to be sleeping. Thank you, honey. I appreciate that very much. Perfect. Perfect. I'm on tape. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. No, he's not. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. So speaking of sleep, sleep implies you're not being aware. Okay. You're, you're not aware of your surroundings if you're sleeping. So we talked about this person arising from sleep, but they're, uh, there, you don't even see the needs around you because you're, you're, you know, shut down. You're self-anesthetized. 
You don't even care how your numbness is hurting other people. You're not even aware of how it's hurting other people. The children and family are ignored. You're not meeting the emotional, spiritual, and physical needs of the people around you. By being, it's a selfish thing to, to go to sleep when you should be working. The responsibilities are shirked, they're lacking, and yet you're still unaware. And the distractions can work as well as in an anesthetized anesthesia. Um, distractions can, you know, TV, gaming, Facebook, entertainment, books, etc. checking out from life, okay? These are the same things of just kind of shutting down and not being aware of the need that's right in front of us. Um, numbing by drugs, alcohol, pain pills, antidepressants. There's a lot of things that we use in this world to shut down so that we can check out from our responsibilities. Verse 6, God says, go to, these are action, go to and learn from God's nature workers, the ants. No one tells them to work. It's instinctive. They didn't even need somebody to order them around, which you'd think it'd be like, get in line here, do this. You know, we always need someone to get us in order. They don't even need that. They look and they're observing, they see, and they go. It's just really amazing. I never really thought about the fact that they don't have a, a you know, they've got, bees have queens, you know, they all have their, inter- but ants, they're all singular and they all just see, the, it's amazing. So um, they sense the need, they look for the need. They understand that if I don't eat, I won't, if I don't work, I won't eat it's like, we've got to do this now. <laughs> you know, they see that it's interesting, instinctive. Uh, verse 8 says, they prepare, prepared her food in the summer and gathered her provisions in the harvest. So they prepare when it's available for now and for later. They prepare because usually when things are ready, they're ready now and that you've got a bunch of work now and then none later. You know, this is how we've lived our life as contractors, independent. You know, we don't have a paycheck every week. We don't have somebody saying, show up at 8 o'clock. The phone rings, we eat. If the phone doesn't ring, we don't eat. You know, so you do all that you can when you have the work. You do the best you can. And then when it's silent, then you wait and you use the stores. And then, again, like a farmer. <laughs> we grew up that with farm, too. You gather, you collect, and you store. So it's not just a matter of for now. It's a now and later. So our working involves the collecting and storage, which is an interesting thing to think about in our world because everything is so instant now, right? Everything's just in time. All the grocery stores are stocked and they're on a two to three day refill, you know, of everything on their shelves. So we're just so used to that. Well, it may not always be this way. And we're, we're kind of beginning to see that, <clears throat> the, you know, the winds are blowing in that direction where we need to be actually better stored and better prepared for Verse nine says, arise from sleep and begin your awareness, or begin your awareness, begin your awareness. And we can do this anytime. We don't have to wait till we've slacked off and fallen asleep. We actually can start at any time. And I love that the Lord's telling us to be aware and look now. Um, no one else is responsible. You arise, you arise, whatever and whomever you are responsible for. Who's in your charge? Who's in your charge? And who has the Lord given us to assist? A lot of times we may not, if you don't have children anymore, or if you don't have aging parents, or, you know, whatever your situation, neighbors, uh, people that you know that are um, less uh, capable than you, or less um, um, willing, whatever. But who's in our charge? Who's in our, who are our neighbors? Um, Get busy and stay at it. 
get busy and stay at it, which is impl- implication of starting and continuing with our work. And then enjoying the fruits of our own labor. What a blessing is that? I, is there nothing more satisfying than actually, if you ever take the time to make something that's really, you know, instead of buying something from the store that is really good, <laughs> taking the time to make something that you have prepared, there is incredible joy in that. And uh, the, the blessing of enjoying the fruits of your own labor on any level, on any level, whether it's cutting the lawn and sitting out there with a glass of tea afterwards, you know what I mean? Just anything that we do is refreshing and, and um, satisfying. And your family will thrive because of your work. You and your family will thrive because of your work. And and the longer this happens, the more your world thrives. The more the people around you thrive. Because you have invested in them. And guess what? It catches. It's contagious. Um, Unless, of course, you never require your children to do anything. That's another story. (laughs) That's another lesson. But we do need to... um, you know, your family thrives because of, of your input. All right. So let's look at the false mouth, the evil, excuse me, the evil person. I said that wrong. Um, the evil person verse 12 through 15, a worthless person, a wicked man. This is the one who walks with a false mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart devises evil continually, who spreads strife. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly. Instantly, he will be broken, and there will be no healing. Now, um, I've not been speaking about all the consequences for these, you know, all these these people, because it's kind of built in to God's direction for us. But it seems to be that a lot that when things are let go, there comes a point when it all comes tumbling down. Remember last time it talked about a breach in a wall and it just whew, fell down. And, uh, um, or excuse me, maybe that's in this one. There, there's, there's a lot of references to things suddenly coming to a, a screeching halt, people being, their lives being destroyed suddenly. And um, so it's, um, it's, on, it's not, fully expected by these, you know, so the people that are, as we live in this lifestyle, we just really think it's going to continue on. And it's, there comes a time when it just crashes because all the people around you, the situations have been exhausted. You've burned the bridges. The relationships are done. You know, the money's run out, the rents do, they kicked you out. You know, it's like it all runs to an end. So the Lord's trying to tell us, We have to be prepared and wise because we can't just wait till it just is done. And then the remedy is sometimes irreparable, um, as we will learn with the adulteress. (laughs) So, but with the the evil person, it starts out with a false mouth. And if we have read in the, you know, the next section, that's one of the things God hates, hates a false mouth. Create situations that covers up what is true. In other words, it's either implying something or covering something that is true. Okay? It's implying something's not true or that is true or it's making something completely up as covering something. It, you're, usually people are covering themselves. They're trying to make themselves look better or a situation look better 
or they want something to happen. So they're lying about, you know, whatever it hides guilt and it conceals plans. That's what false mouth does. That's what lies do. It hides guilt and it conceals evil plans. Lying also hurt. They're hiding the actions that hurt other people. Um, you know, lying about my guilt, making somebody else, implying somebody else is involved. Victims really often don't see justice for their, their inflicted pain. A lot of people have gone to jail for, because some people lied. How many people do you know have lost careers because somebody lied about them, you know, with some situation. And nowadays, unless you have gotten, you know, visual proof, you know, you can't get out of it. And and that's why people are wearing body cams all the time right now, right? To prove that they didn't do what somebody implied they, they did. Lying mouths destroy, destroy people. And sometimes, uh, you know, that's why God hates it. God hates lying mouth. They accuse innocent people. They let other te- people take the blame for what they've done. They let the innocent go to the jail. Their reputations are destroyed. People usually generally believe a lie first. Don't we all? Like if I hear... You know, I'm a famous pastor that just recently passed away, and I'm not even going to say it. He's implied something happened, and he's like, he's dead. And they're bringing it up after he's dead. What's the point, except for to destroy their family? You know, I just feel like, oh, my goodness, Lord. You know, I think those kind of implicate God hates that. And so even, um, you know, even if they're innocent, there's no way, you know, the damage has been done. The damage has been done. I have a cousin who lost his job because somebody implied, you know, he was, he's just a very interactive teacher. He just is a wonderful, wonderful man. And he was swinging a girl on the swing, touched her bum on the plate, you know, swinging with kids, play, you know, play recess monitor. You know what I'm saying? Swinging the kids high. And he, you know, was pushing her on her bum. Ruined his career. Implications. You just don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's just we have the lying. God hates that. But the, it talks about winks, signals, and points. Okay, the eyes, feet, and the fingers. Eyes wink, feet signal, and fingers point. So the winking implies it's a tease, or it's like, you know, like or 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 starting something like it's not important, or or, or it's it's a signal to someone, you know, to do the deed or whatever. But um, using something to hide from this person and, you know, get, get something else started or just implying, ah, that's no big deal. (laughs) You know, that tease was just, you're supposed to take it light when actually almost all teases, somebody is, somebody's being, (laughs) you know, hurt a little bit. Okay. Um, signals, uh, in, in regard to, uh, with their feet, uh, or something gives the go ahead, to others like under the table or, you know, you can signaling, let's go. It's on, you know, starting something. So being like an instigator of, of devised, devised plans. Um, and then also the, um, devising evil, which he says is another thing God absolutely hates. I believe. Yeah. He devises evil. Verse 14. God hates people who think up things to hurt other people, especially the innocent. I mean, a lot of us as adults, you know, we're all kind of equally, you know, guilty of whatever in life, you know, but innocent people that get somebody devises evil against them. This we've, we pray about this abortion 
industry, industry in our nation. And the sex trafficking of children, innocence, devising and being part of and being complicit with. And I can't even imagine the hundreds of thousands of people who are complicit and involved in the devising evil because they never see these children. They just take the money and move on. Oh, God hates it. Injustice is done to people. All right. The adulterer, verse 26 through 35, we're going to switch ahead or, you know, going to go past this and come back to um, what God hates. Verse 26 says, for the, on the account of the harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and not and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men who do not despise a thief, excuse me, men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. That's another thing that include, I should have included that with, um, with the evil worker is one who th- steals that has to repay. Okay. But I didn't do that. Okay. So I'm going on, but when he's found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house to the one who commits, but to the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. And he who would destroy himself does that wounds and disgrace. He will find and his reproach will not be blotted out for jealousy enrages a man. And he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be content, though you give him many gifts. Breaking vows of marriage to be intimate with another. Adultery, okay? Breaking marriage vows to be intimate with another. Doesn't matter which part you are in this, okay? This is what happens. You just were complicit in breaking the vows of someone. How does the adulterer damage other people? He uses other people for sexual gain. He or she uses other people for sexual gain for themselves. Uh, If it's, you know, verse 32 says they lack sense. In other words, they're not even using their head. They're not even using their minds, their brains. They break a sacred trust between man and wife, which is what, this is why this reaction is so incredible. The, I don't know, even in the, the world of homosexuality, the whole world will tell you it doesn't, if you make a vow to somebody, if you are, have committed to one person, you cheat, you're the devil. You cheat, you deserve death. You know what I mean? It's like cheating is the worst. In other words, we make a vow. We, we, have, we have told someone you are my one. And I'm not saying homosexuality is good. I'm not trying to apply that. I'm just saying that it doesn't matter where you're at in the spectrum of this, this particular thing of cheating and breaking a vow with someone who, you know, you are intimate with and that you have, you have decided that they are your partner. They are your one in a marriage. The way God is united is one with them for life is sacred before God between man and wife secrets and lies always hurt somebody else, always hurt somebody else. And even if we're, uh, I would say just emotionally, even if we are emotionally unfaithful, those secrets, those lies are just as painful. Often 
it brings in, you know, some of the things we understand about STDs, you know, one partner all of a sudden ends up with an STD and they're like, um, hello, (laughs) I understand it's not me. So what have you been doing? You know, it's just, just this whole thing. It brings, you know, it, it can't be covered forever. There's no way, uh, breaks down our health. There's a lot of issues. Some things are for life. Some are incurable, can never be cured again. They impact our lives forever. And then I find it an interesting thing. There used to be laws throughout the world that if a husband went after, uh, uh, you know, uh, the other man or his cheating wife, they didn't even get repercussions. Like they could murder them and they still would, the law would uphold the, the right of the person who was wrong, you know, the person who was faithful, that husband or whatever. Yeah. Um, because God's word is true. For some reason, this whole sacred chest, you break it and the man in particular gets livid enough to murder. Enraged. That doesn't mean women don't get that mad too because how many murders have been because of, you know, people cheating. Um, it's enraging. It is hurt so deeply. And often because what's next, the degra- disgrace, the disrespect, the, uh, uh, what do you call it when... Um, rejection is so incredibly painful that it's worse than any knife wound, any knife wound you could ever, I mean, you, people would rather take a stab in the back. They would rather take a real live cut than to live with the pain of rejection and, um, being cheated on, you know, that lie and that cover. And, Husbands, it says here, the husband will never forgive this act against him. No matter what you repay him with it, it's never enough. It won't satisfy that pain, that hurt, that, that has been wronged. That's how deeply this goes. These are the things that we as humans, how, how common is this in this world? You realize how much pain people are enduring that have lived with um, unfaithfulness or you know, the roaming eye or just dissatisfaction in their marriage and they go find it somewhere else, men and women. What does God think? God continually, how many times have we had it? In, in, we've gone through seven chapters now because we did five and seven. How many times have, has God already warned about adultery? How many times? How many times he says this in particular, if you read this verse 20, my son, observe the commandment of your father. Don't forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continual on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, when they, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you wake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Because God says, these are things that we need to have over and over and over. We need to under, we need to be really prepared for this because this will come upon us as temptation out of the blue. We have to be already settled in our mind, already have these convictions deep in our heart. And not only do we, he warns us night and day with reminders, memorizations, guides, and rehearsals again and again and again as a parent. So the Lord being our parent God is reminding us again and again and again, reminders and rehearsals. And don't forget this because it seems to be something that needs to be completely fresh all the time, all the time in our minds because it can come up. It can come up. So we can't hope to overcome this part of our life. This, I think God knows how strong our sexual drive is. The hormonal 
sexual drive in our life is huge. We are not going to overcome this without strong conviction, without strong decisions being made ahead of time, spiritual foundations in place beforehand. And we have to re- be rehearsed in our thoughts so that it comes to mind whenever the first hint of it occurs. Because I don't care what we think. We are amazing creatures. God made us amazingly. And, and our, don't, it's an amazing, wonderful uh, part of humanity. Physical touch, caring, intimacy. Strong part of our lives. So God knows, you know, we have... We have to guard it and we have to know exactly what's coming and we have to prepare because it will overtake us. It will overtake us. I used to, <laughs> had a conversation once with, uh, a, with, with another mom with teenagers and when my daughters were teenagers and we had a conversation, it was like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to choose a guy that's this way, this, this, you know, and I'm just going to, and I'm never going to do, you know, I'm just like, and we just, I looked at my, the other mom and we just kind of chuckled because it's like, you can't always determine who you're going to just, you know, who you're going to be attracted to, you know, who you're going to, and it just happens in an instant like that. It's like, you can't always just say, oh, well, you know, I'm just, but we have to have it in our hearts and settled in our minds, what we will choose, what we will choose in this way. All right. Um, remember the overall goal is to live a pleasing life before the Lord to have fear of the Lord and to honor him. And this is why instruction guide number two is we have to learn what he loves. If we want to please him, if this is our life goal, if this is our relationship goal with God, we have to know what does he hate? What does he love? If I were going to say, you know, if you're going to be close to someone, your husband, you find out what they love and you do that for them. You find out what they hate and you're like, okay, never mind. We're not going that way. You know, we want to make sure we get rid of those things. <laughs> you just don't have them around. And the Lord is the same way. We need to know what he loves. We need to know what he hates. And do you know, throughout scripture, the Bible, Bible, Bible sprinkles statements throughout that give us a hint what he really loves. And sometimes he outright says it. I love, like, I love Zion. I, the Lord, he loves Zion. Isn't that wonderful? Write it down. Anytime you hear, I have a list I didn't write them down here because it's almost like a life challenge. Find out what the Lord loves. Keep a list of what the Lord loves. And, um, and then when he makes a whole list of seven things he hates, well, that makes it nice. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> They're all in one spot. Um, <laughs> learn. We need to know these inside now. We need to have these memorized. We need to not offend the Lord. And verses 16 through 19. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife. And you know, think about what an abomination is. I looked it up. It's disgusting to God. It is abhorrent. It is intensely loathed. It's an intense aversion to, it's vile, shameful. And sometimes these are, you know, as we look at these are actions, they're also habit, they can turn into habit. 
It's, I would not want to be in that list of, you know, living in a way that is God hates, you know, and he has to judge. Wow. So let's look at pride, you know, and we've been, I'm not going to go into these deep. I'm just going to mention them and, you know, just touch on it. We've been told that pride is literally at the core of who we are as humanity, as, you know, that pride is deep in the heart. We don't even know our own hearts. Pride is, you know, every person is self-centered. Every single, just an example, toddlers. I mean, this is from the time we were little, toddlers. You hand out a plate of cookies and they all look, which one's the biggest one? For me. You know what I'm saying? We're selfish, prideful. We look at a picture of a group. Who do we look for first? Me, I'm right there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, how do I look? How do, oh gosh, I look terrible. My eyes are closed. What, you know what I'm saying? Who cares? You know, but we do. <laughs> Nobody cares that your eyes are closed. They only care how, if their eyes are closed. You know, it's just, we're all the same. And it's just an amazing part of who we are. God knows this is, we're just so self-centered that we're so prideful. He hates the haughty look though. He, you know, he, he hates how that just rises up in our soul and we become over as if we're over other people or be more important than other people. So it's something we're always having to repent of right before the Lord. And that one, we could stop right there and live our lives trying to repent of the pride in our lives. Number two lies. And this one, we think we don't live in this, but we do. I'm sorry, we do. We cover up. We skirt the truth. We don't own our own issues. We, uh, especially dealing with family and things that, you know, come up. We just always like to think that we're in the right. We always like to think that, you know, so we're not being honest. Honest, you know, lies, deceit, and cover up. Murder of innocent. Now, we may not be the one cutting and snipping and sucking out. And we may not be the ones, you know, stabbing people physically. We may not be that. So we have to be careful that we're not allowing in our vision, you know, these things to go on without us being, doing something. In In other words, if I would watch somebody get mugged and never say a word or not, never try to help, am I complicit? I don't understand, you know, how, you know, we just kind of, we section off our life and our mind and we, we really don't deal with things with the intensity that they need to, you know, with these vile crimes against humanity. We really have to ask the Lord to give us our part in not allowing and and not being complicit with things happening around us. Okay. Scheming or devising evil, okay? It's uh, a, a heart that devises wicked plans. It's scheming, planning the damage or unfair advantage over others. Now, we did talk about this before, so I'm not going to go into that too much. But it's just, um, yeah. We have to, <laughs> this is really kind of silly. I, please forgive me, because nobody knows that I love playing games more than anyone else. But there, <laughs> there are games that we actually sharpen our skills, <laughs> at devising advantage over other people. <laughs> um, so anyway, we just have to consider our attitudes as as we go with it. I'm looking at her because I know we're the same. We're the same when we play games. Um, 
<laughs> no, but it just, you know, it's a heart check. It really is a heart check, you know. Uh, we love that feeling of over someone, you know, winning over. But we have to be careful to have soft hearts, you know. I loved playing with my mom. She was just as competitive as anybody. But I tell you what, she, in a, in a switch, would just be so happy you won. You know what I mean? She'd work try as hard, as hard as she could. And then as soon as you won, she'd be so happy for you. <laughs> you know, and I think because she, she taught us growing up. So we're still her little kids. So like when you're paying with a five-year-old, you're happy for them when they win, right? So it's, it's kind of, we have to be careful that our heart kind of always stays in that soft place, you know. All right. Um, preferring rebellion. That's what um, feet that are swift and running to evil. You prefer to be rebellious than you do to stay in a place of peace and contentment. You're running towards something else. You're not content to stay in this place of, I have to think this kind of falls in the line of not being content with what I have. Okay, so um, they're running to evil, but just think about um, selfish desires, never satisfied. Can I just say not satisfied with just Jesus? Can I say that we're wanting the world? We're running after the world. You know, we're not satisfied with what God gives us and what is enough. We want something else. And, you know, running towards something, we're rebels, we're mavericks, we're always trying to, you know. So, all right, look at um, number six, a false witness who speak lies. It's not, you know, isn't, it's not just a liar to cover their own sins, but you have to evolve other innocent people in, in there as well. You know, speaks lies against other people. God hates that. He hates our own lies, let alone when we spread it. And then the last one, one who sows discord among the brethren. And I just, I lived, um, I had to be really, you know, careful sometimes. Um, sometimes there are people in our lives who they're, they're not content. I think it stems out of insecurity, honestly. But they go around to other people and they'll say something about this person in front of this person. Then they go to another person and they say something about this person you know what I'm saying? They they sow discord. They have the they have the juicy news on this person here with this person, and they go to and this person and they have the juicy news on this person. They're just spreading discord, um, and it's always because they want other people to appear worse than them. And so, in one sense, it's like, you know, we're all insecure. We all have issues, but to talk about other people's issues and what they've done or what and sometimes they're just flat out lies. And other times it's the truth. But do we need to be the one who spreads that news? No, we do not. We need to be the ones who are looking for unity, ones who cover the multitude of sins, ones that, you know, looks for the, like, oh gosh, there's such a blessing in this area. Instead of finding the bank, can you please just look at what's special about that person and let's promote that about, let's build unity in our families and, you know, not cast aspersions and mistrust amongst each other. God hates that. Do you ever think about how God hates those things that seem to be not, they seem rather, I mean, that's not stabbing somebody, causing them to bleed and die, but it's harming them. And this is the thing. Why do you think God hates these so much? Because these defraud other people. They hurt other people. God loves people. It's not fair takes advantage of other people. They divide rather than unify. They become a snare or a damage to someone else. People get hurt and God hates when people are hurt. He loves us so much. His overwhelming nature 
is his loving kindness and compassion. And I'm just going to close with this. You know, he loves it when people are fair. He loves it when things are right. These are the things that make things right. These are the things that make things right. When God, you know, that's why he says he hates all these things. He wants it to be right for each one of us. That's what righteousness is. And do you know what one of the things God loves? He loves righteousness. He loves it. It's like, mm, righteousness. He loves righteousness. And that's why he hates these things. This is why so much of our lives, our government, our court, our, our education systems are in place to assist us, humanity, in just simply being kind to each other because our nature is to not be kind. Our nature is to be selfish. Just you know, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. You would think everybody could just live that way and no problem, but that's not how it works. So being gentle, be peaceful, good, fair, and generous. This is God, what God is asking us of us. And what are those? That's the fruit of his spirit. <laughs> he knows this is what it takes, the spirit within us, to be gentle, to be kind, to be generous, to be fair, to be, you know, have that, that compassion, have that love and, and, and grace. The wisdom of God is written in instruction guides right here to help us to know how to live this way. Let's read verse 23 one more time. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs or discipline are the way of life. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just thank you, Jesus, that this instruction was given for us. This instruction is dear to us, Lord. If you love it, we love it. And I just thank you, God, that your word has been given for us. In, in We have these pages. We have this book, which we treasure, Lord. We know so many people in the world do not. But God, may we just be the ones who spread this wisdom, who live this wisdom, who walk in the truth of this wisdom, and who fear you, Lord, and who want to please you, Lord. This is our desire, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.